jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. The Manhattan Millennial Book Review with host Anuja Jaswal on jasoncharles.net. Hi, everyone. To say it's been an eventful few months would be an understatement. I hope you are all safe and well. Due to the ongoing state of the pandemic in the United States, Jason and I are continuing to record remotely. So please forgive any changes in sound. As you know, this is Anuja Jesswal, your host of the Manhattan Millennial Book Review here on jasoncharles.net, arts and culture shows. On this episode, I'll be reviewing Villette by Charlotte Bronte. Now I know I said I'd review the Hemingses of Monticello at the end of my last podcast, but I've spent the past few months completely consumed by Villette, and so I jumped at the chance to discuss it in a non-academic context. Now I first came across this novel in grad school when I made the decision to write my master's essay about Bronte's treatment of narration and visuality in Villette. This book was the center of my life for a long time. It's compelling and layered and at times infuriating, but ultimately I think it's a beautiful book and I look forward to sharing some of my thoughts with you today. But first, here's some background. Charlotte Bronte was a Victorian novelist and the most famous of the three Bronte sisters. She's best known for Jane Eyre, but her 1853 novel, The Let, is where Croft truly emerges. Here's a short synopsis. Villette follows the life of Lucy Snow, who leaves England to go teach at a school in Villette, the fictitious setting of the novel, where she deals with everything from overbearing employers to romantic misfortune. I think the most striking thing about the novel is how Bronte chooses to depict Lucy's interactions with other characters. Lucy is at once gifted with an extraordinarily close gaze and subject to the scrutiny of other characters. When I first started reading this novel, I immediately thought about the modern notion of the male gaze and how Bronte completely explodes that idea in her depiction of Lucy's experiences. When I think of the male gaze, I think of it as inherently objectifying and unidirectional and pretty obviously male. But in Villette, Lucy is the main wielder of the gaze and this experience is not inherently empowering for her. In fact, it has almost the opposite effect and proves intensely demoralizing. Bronte's treatment of visuality leads to some fascinating passages. The way that Lucy responds to her employer's gaze is especially intriguing. I found myself an object of study. She held me under her eye. She seemed to be turning me around in her thoughts, measuring my fitness for a purpose, weighing my value in a plan. Over here, Bronte emphasizes how transfixed Lucy is by her employer's gaze. Verbs such as held, turning, measuring, and weighing really highlight the physical or visceral aspect of the gaze. In this way, Bronte literalizes the scrutiny that Lucy undergoes at the hands of Madame Beck. However, their interactions aren't quite as clear as they seem. In another passage, Bronte teases out some of the complexities of the relationship between them. I dare say she sat a quarter of an hour on the edge of my bed, gazing at my face. She then drew nearer, bent close over me, slightly raised my cap and turned back the border so as to expose my hair. She looked at my hand lying on the bedclothes. Now let's be clear about something here. Bronte emphasizes Lucy's passivity in this scene in her focus on Lucy's features and clothing. Phrases such as my face, my cap, my hair, and my hand almost abstract her figure, highlighting how powerless she is. 
However, here's a key detail. Lucy's not meant to be awake here. So all of the information that she has about Madame Beck's actions and specifically her visual actions, you know, the phrase, she looked at my hand lying on the bedclothes. If Lucy's eyes are closed, she has no way to know how Madame Beck looked at her. That particular detail really complicates the power dynamics in this scene, but also exposes how hard Bronte works to place Lucy in a particular position in this passage. Even in scenes where Lucy's presented as the wielder of the gaze rather than the object of other people's observation, Bronte does not set up a straightforward visual dynamic for readers. For example, my eye being fixed on hers, I witnessed in its iris and pupil a startling transfiguration. These sudden dangerous natures, sensitive as they are called, offer many a curious spectacle to those whom a cooler temperament has secured from participation in their angular vagaries. The fixed and heavy gaze swum, trembled, then glittered in fire. The small overcast brow cleared, the trivial and dejected features lit up, the sad countenance vanished, and in its place appeared a sudden eagerness, an intense expectancy. This passage is an example of Charlotte Bronte's ability to depict extraordinarily complex visual interactions in a way that both engages and distances the reader. So in this scene, Lucy is watching Madame Breton watch Paulina, which is already layered enough because we're essentially being told what Lucy sees as she sees Madame Breton watching somebody else. But the closeness of Lucy's observation in the scene actually takes readers out of the moment. Not only do we forget that Madame Breton is supposed to be watching Paulina, the intensity of Lucy's scrutiny means that we're more concerned with Madame Breton's brow or her irises or the changes in her expression than we are with what's actually happening in this moment. So there's almost another narrative being formed here, a narrative that's entirely centered on the act of looking and inspecting someone's face more so than it is about the interactions between these characters on a social level. Throughout Villette, Lucy is intensely uncomfortable being the subject of other people's scrutiny. So in the Victorian era, there's this thing called modesty tapas, where essentially women or female characters hate being looked at because, oh, like they're too modest and, you know, we can't admit. And so it's actually kind of a vanity thing because you constantly spend all this time talking about how it's so awful to be looked at all the time. But what you're secretly saying is, oh, look at me. Like, I'm so beautiful. I have people looking at me all the time. Now, Bronte's characters, female characters, female protagonists, they're way more layered than that. And she really smashes that. And she just says, no, actually, there's something really sinister about the way that women exist in society because they're both invisible and hyper-visible at the same time. And navigating that can be really difficult. So I, I just think that like the complexity and the care with which she sets up Lucy Snow and the way that she's interacting with other people, specifically by looking at them and being looked at, it just does so much for the representation of women, you know, in that period and the way that it's responding to male authors in that period, like Dickens. So Dickens wrote this book called Bleak House, which came out in 1855, in which he was definitely responding to, the, to Bronte and Jane Eyre, because Esther in that, because he makes her sort of physically disfigured, it means that her discomfort with being looked at is then definitely, you know, a vanity thing rather than any sort of deeper complex emotional interplay. Bronte creates a very complex relationship between the act of being known and the act of being looked at. And this mainly manifests in her portrayal of Lucy's visual interactions with other characters. For example, when Lucy takes a fevered trip through Villette, 
and encounters Graham in disguise, she fights very hard not to be discovered by him. And I think this is a really interesting passage. Why then did he concentrate all on me, oppressing me with the whole force of that full, blue, steadfast orb? Why, if he would look, did not one glance satisfy him? Why did he turn on his chair, rest his elbow on its back, and study me leisurely? He could not see my face, I held it down. Surely he could not recognize me. I stooped, I turned, I would not be known. He rose, by some means he contrived to approach. In two minutes he would have had my secret, my identity would have been grasped between his never tyrannous but always powerful hands. Bronte's choice of verbs and adjectives in this passage really exemplifies the dynamic that she's setting up between being seen and being known. So words such as force, oppressed, tyrannous, grasped. The whole point of this passage is highlighting how much she would risk by being seen and it's given to us in these like incredibly powerful metaphors and sentences right it's like being grasped between his hands but it all comes down to something like actually pretty fleeting like it's just about the meeting of two eyes right in this scene the act of avoiding graham's gaze is directly linked to the more crucial act of avoiding being known or avoiding being noticed in this moment it's like if you were out on the bus and you saw your childhood friend you liked them, but you didn't do anything about it. And now they're with someone else. And you see them with like a group of people and he's about to discover you, but you've got your hood on. And you just really don't want to be seen right now. She makes it a bigger deal than that, but essentially it's just about not wanting to be caught in that situation. Now I won't lie. I would probably never have gotten around to reading this book if it hadn't proved relevant to my studies. Whilst Jane Eyre defined my childhood, Villette was a novel I told myself I'd read for years until I finally got around to it. But after spending months completely absorbed by it, I think it's an incredible read. It isn't satisfying in the way that we've come to expect from modern fiction, but it is especially a unique experience. I think partly because it's not a neat novel. It's not structured in the way that you've come to expect from modern fiction. It's also not even structured in the way that people think all 19th century novels are. So there isn't always this clear sense of being guided through the narrative by a narrator. In fact, you spend a lot of the time being really frustrated with Lucy because, you know, she'll sometimes say things or she won't say things and she proves to be actually like quite evasive and difficult to deal with. So it's really experiential in that way. Experiential in a completely different way to The Moonstone, my last podcast, because even though the reader was involved there and you're trying to piece together this mystery, Villette presents itself as a novel with a narrator that will guide you through pieces of it, but that proves not to be true. And so throughout the book, you spend your whole time grappling with this question of, do you trust Lucy or not? And that sounds like a really hostile read. I understand it sounds like you're constantly chafing against um, what Bronte has chosen to do with this character. But it's also what makes it really special because it's so engaging and it's really fascinating. And I really hope you check it out. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. On the next episode, I'll be reviewing Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier in anticipation of the next big Hollywood adaptation. Let me know if you think that they can outdo Hitchcock. I think very few people do, but the trailer certainly looks interesting. Until next time, this is Anuja Jesswal. Feel free to send me your comments, questions, or suggestions. You've been listening to the Manhattan Millennial Book Review with host Anuja Jesswal on jasoncharles.net. For more information about Anuja Jaswal, check out her Instagram at Anuja Jaswal 1997, spelled 
A-N-U-J-A-J-A-I-S-W-A-L-1997. JasonCharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.